morning, welcome. Good morning, welcome. I cannot believe it is Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving week, oh my goodness. How many, have tra how many are traveling for Thanksgiving? Any travelers, where are you guys headed? Livermore. Livermore? Why? <laughs> oh, okay, that makes sense. Isn't, okay, good, nothing about liver. I, 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 all right, I've never been, so I can't. It just doesn't sound great. Liver, anything that has to do with liver doesn't sound very good. Liver more? Who wants more liver? Not, not me. Okay, good, good, good. Liver's bad for you. Who's traveling out of state? Where are you guys going? Arizona. Arizona? Who are you visiting in Arizona? All your clan? Cool, cool, cool. Who's going farther than Arizona? Where are you going? Hawaii. Hawaii? <laughs> That's, I'm going to say that that's going to be better than Livermore. <laughs> We're following up. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Who's going? Go ahead. I raised my kids in Livermore. It's a great town to raise. All right. All right. I, I'm not picking on Livermore. Just don't. The name. I'm picking on the name, I guess. Who's going beyond Hawaii? Who's going outside the country? Nobody? All right, good. We've got family here from Colorado. Uh, nephew, uh, he was here first service, and we've got family here from North Carolina, my sister-in-law, so got clan here as well, traveling, and uh, so happy Thanksgiving. What I'd like to do is just pray, and um, we're going to just offer up a prayer of Thanksgiving to the Lord, and so I'm going to say what I'm thankful for just in a word, and then as you feel led, just speak it out, speak it out loud enough so everybody can hear, and, um, and then we'll just agree, and so Lord, I, I'm thankful. <sighs> I'm thankful for my family. Let me get clear, Lord. I love all my, all my kids, but I'm so thankful for my grandkids. Health. Health. Harvest Church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus. Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for my great-grandkids. Great guy you're showing off. That's nice. There we go. <laughs> Amen. Hmm. Hallelujah. Thankful for you. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, I am. Thankful for all volunteers who show up early to make this happen on Sunday. Me too. Thank you, Lord. Wife of my youth. Ah. The wife of my. Hmm. <laughs> Couple more. I'm thankful for God's strength to see us through hard times. Yeah. Thank you that He never leaves us or pursues us. Yes, He's I'm thankful for my church family. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for my mom. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> One more. Hmm, for community. Thank you, Lord. We have so many amazing things to be grateful for, thankful for, Lord, as we just stop, and as we just take an inventory of our lives, 
amidst all of the challenging and hard things, there are so many wonderful things to be thankful for. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a heart of gratitude, help, helping us to appreciate life and appreciate the blessings of life. Lord, I pray that that attitude would just be welling up in our hearts and minds and lives all throughout this holiday season and through the balance of the year and into the new year, Lord, be, we, that we would just have an, a heart of gratitude, thanksgiving, Lord God. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for your grace, your kindness, your love, your faithfulness, your perseverance, your power, <laughs> your patience. <laughs> we love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Behaving Like Believers, Part 4. <laughs> it's a very convenient title. Curtis kicked it off. My son kicked it off four weeks ago with Behaving Like Believers, Part 1. And it's just so easy to continue with this series each week. So I'm not sure how many times we'll be talking about, well, as long as the Bible's, as long as it makes sense in the Word, we'll continue to do it. So Behaving Like Believers, Part 4, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. But to kind of give us a reminder and some context for what we're going to be studying today, I wanted to go back and reread some of the things that we covered last week, and so some of this will sound familiar, and if you'd like to know how we unpacked these passages, these verses last, uh, last week, then go ahead back and, and watch it on YouTube or on our website or whatever, and you can get, there, get that there. So I'm going to read uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and following. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. And keep a humble attitude. Don't, repeat, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when insults. Um, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and to see many happy days, Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So God is clearly calling us in his scripture to be a people who do good. This is throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see that God has called us to do good. So as we look at 1 Peter 3, 13 through 22, we get some clarity about what uh, these verses mean. Verse 13 says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do what was written just prior to this verse. If you're eager to do the good that God has called us to, who will want to harm you? N number one in our message this week, believers are eager to do good. <laughs> I almost wrote believers should be eager to do good. But the reality is, is that when we've had a born again experience in Christ, when this, this, the son of God pays the penalty for our sin and gives us new life and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a transformation that 
actually takes place in our lives. This transaction brings about a transformation in our lives. And so it's not about shooting, uh, you know, all of that type of language, but it's about the reality that believers are actually eager to do good. Why? Because God has actually put a new mind in us, a new heart in us. He's given us a new purpose and a new uh, idea of what it means to live this life. So last week we talked about honoring God's plan for the family structure. Uh, in that study, among other things, we covered the verses about wives submitting to their husbands. And I was told after the message that we need to let wives know that submission is required unless, unless, wives, you should submit to your husbands unless what he's asking you to do is unbiblical. <laughs> if your husband is leading you down an unbiblical path because your first allegiance is to the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, um, you need to honor the Lord and submit to him and not do what is unbiblical, the unbiblical thing that your husband might be asking you to do. So men, as spiritual leaders in your home, I, I challenge you never Never lead your wife down a path that is unbiblical, that is, that is ungodly, that is not right spiritually. Make sure that as the spiritual leader of your home that you are leading in a biblical way in your marriage and in your family. Also, if what your husband is asking you to do is unethical, you do not have to submit to his leadership. You submit to your husband as he submits to the Lord. And so as he submits to the Lord, he will not be leading you down a path that is either unbiblical or unethical. So men, we have this profound responsibility to lead in a way uh, that is biblical and ethical such that our wives are happy to follow our lead. And so if he's leading you down a path that is unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, you don't have to do it. <laughs> if he's asking you to go down a path that is immoral, you don't have to do it. So men, make sure in your leadership that you are biblical and ethical and, and moral and legal. Make sure that you're leading her even as Christ leads the church. Make sure you're Make sure you're being Christ in your family, Jesus with skin on. So just to clarify, if your husband's asking you to do something that is unbiblical, unethical, immoral, or illegal, you're free not to do it. But make sure that if you're not going to follow his lead, it's for one of these reasons, because God has clearly said that the the husband is the head of the family, even as Christ is the head of the church, and that wives must submit to their husbands in everything as unto the Lord. So, part four in our study, behaving like believers. Number one, believers are eager to do good. So let's, with greater clarity, understand what exactly does it mean that we're eager to do good? What is good? And in a culture where the world would say good is evil and evil is good, black is white and white is black, and everything else is just kind of gray, in a world where what we believe in our culture is contrary to the word of God, what does it actually mean to do good? How do we define good? In his commentary, John MacArthur wrote, good refers generally to a life characterized by generosity, unselfishness, kindness, and thoughtfulness toward 
others. Believers' lives are actually marked by these characteristics. We could say that believers' lives should be marked by these characteristics, but the reality is that the fruit of a believer's life is actually characterized. It's not something we should have to compel you to believe or to live or to do. It's the natural result of a life that is fully submitted to God. Believers' lives are by the power of God, because of the grace of God, because of the life transformation of God, they're actually marked by these characteristics. This is true because, well, this is God's design. And we see that this is God's design in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 37, 3, the psalmist wrote, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. So there's direction. And then the affirmation of that direction is the promise of reward that you will, that you will live safely in the land and prosper. Ephesians 2.10 in the New Testament says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So you are God's masterpiece created for good works that God has planned for you long ago. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, Paul writes, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. So when we have a proper knowledge of the will of God and when we have developed spiritual wisdom by the grace of God in our lives and we have proper understanding about who God is and what he's created us to do, then, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And so in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God's plan for his people is to do good. Let's take a look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It says this, for the grace of God has been Reveal, bringing salvation to all people. Better, be, better way to understand that verse is making salvation available to all people. And we, as saved people, those who have experienced the salvation of God, verse 12 says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And when we live in this world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, we will naturally, out of the natural flow of that decision, out of the fruit of that kind of lifestyle, we will actually do good. While we look forward, verse 13 in Titus, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And so Paul told Titus in verse 15, you must teach these things and encourage the believers 
to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. And so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So Paul is telling Titus, and really he's telling every spiritual leader down throughout history, every Christian spiritual leader that we have this responsibility. We have this responsibility to communicate this truth to the people we have in our lives. So these verses in Titus point to, in the beginning, it points to the person of Jesus, which represents the grace that has been made available in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth. And that grace that Jesus brought with him and distributed after the course of his, his crucifixion and resurrection, that grace compels believers to live good lives as we wait for the return of Christ. And so we've got book, our lives are bookended by Jesus. Our new lives in Christ have been bookended by the, the first arrival of Christ when he would come to die for the sins of humanity. Then he was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day. And when he ascended, he gave us responsibility in the earth. And we are to be about our father's business. We are to occupy until he arrives, until he arrives at his second coming. So our lives are bookended by Jesus. And our lives are meant to be all about Jesus. Our lives are, have been given to us so that we might represent Jesus here in the earth. So even as Paul instructed Titus how to lead God's people, Christian leaders everywhere and teachers, especially pastors, have the responsibility to do the same. We have the responsibility to challenge people that the grace of God is actually made us born again. It's actually given us new purpose in the earth. And that purpose is to do good for God's glorious purposes in the earth as we occupy, as we wait for his glorious return. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. So believing, behaving like believers, part four, Number one, believers are eager to do good. Number two, believers are willing to suffer for doing good. <laughs> believers are willing to suffer for doing good. Verse 14 again, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Notice there is no promise of protection. God doesn't promise to protect us from difficulty. God doesn't promise to protect us from suffering. However, he does promise reward. Reward. What does that reward looks like? look like? Well, I think it's, we see in this life, when we, by God's grace, stand firm and decide that we're willing to suffer persecution for the good that God has called us to do, there's something that happens within us that builds us up in our most holy faith. It strengthens us as believers, and we have a confidence in God. We have a confidence in who we are in God. We've got clarity about who we are in God. And so there's that reward of clarity and confidence, that clear conviction that we are born again. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price and our lives here on this earth as we occupy are met to be marked by goodness as we follow Jesus' example, as we do what God has called us to do. So there's the reward of just what we experience uh, from, a, from an obedient life here on the earth, but then there's also the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ, the day that we stand before the Lord and give an account for the way that we've lived our lives as believers. 
the other end on that bookend is Jesus, his return, the judgment of God, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ is what every believer will experience. Every one of us will have our day before the Lord to give an account, to give a reason for the things that we've done in this life and for the ways that we have spent our time in the earth. People outside of the church will stand before the great white throne judgment. Their lives won't be evaluated for rewards or not. They're standing before the great judge of all the earth, and they will be sentenced to eternal separation, a fiery hell reserved for the devil and his angels. This is what will happen. And so this is why God is so serious about bookending our lives with Jesus and Jesus. And in the middle, we're about our father's business. We have a, a, a job to do. We have work to do. And we will each give an account for the way that we have lived our lives. We live in a sin-sick world where people, the people of God will at times suffer even when doing good. And so believers are willing to suffer for doing good. Sometimes when we're suffering for doing good, we're, com we're confused by it. We're perplexed by it. We're like, I thought that if I did good, that blessings would follow. But our idea of blessings is temporal. It's earthly. The blessings will flow, and there's nothing that, that will be better than that. But often the blessings that will be flowing are eternal and in the next life. And they're not looking like a new car on the driveway or a new house or a vacation or anything like that. Jesus Christ went about doing good, and the crowds wanted to kill him. John 10, 32, Jesus said, at my father's, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? <laughs> Jesus, at the Father's direction, went about doing good works. Now, they didn't stone him then, but they crucified him later. They killed him. Why? Because they hated his good works. They hated his life and everything that he stood for. In John 15, 18 through 21, it says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? Jesus continues, a slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. Naturally, you see that word naturally? So we shouldn't be surprised prized when we suffer for doing good, we should, we should expect it because it's the natural process when we're doing good as believers of Christ. The world will hate us and they will try to help uh, make us suffer for our doing good. And so if we just change our mind about it, because sometimes what happens is we begin to suffer for doing good and we're perplexed and we're confused by it and we give up on, on our good works. But if we just change our minds about suffering and if we just expect it, then when it happens, we're like, hey, I've been kind of expecting you to show up in my life. So you're not like an unexpected person, guest. You, I've been waiting for you to show up because my life is marked by goodness. And so naturally, if I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will suffer for what I am doing. Sometimes the enemy's got us lie, uh, believing lies and we, we don't think that we will suffer any kind of persecution in this life, but that is clearly 
not what we see in Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Through all 66 books of the Bible, it is made clear to us that we are living for a moment in this life. And when it's all said and done, we will go to be with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Or will be cast into fiery darkness for the unbeliever. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They rejected Christ because of who he was. They will reject us because of who we are. Unless, of course... We don't actually belong to Jesus. We belong to the world. If that's the case, the world will love us. But if we indeed belong to Jesus, we should expect that the world will hate us and we shouldn't by any means be surprised by it and be derailed by it. But we should just, like the disciples said, thank God that he counted me worthy to suffer for his name. Like they were stoked about it. They were celebrating the fact that they were suffering persecution for the name of Jesus. We need some good old-fashioned first-century disciple-minded people in the 21st century, don't we? We need to, like, change our mind. We live in a way-too-comfortable culture, which I'm all too grateful for, but it makes it way too easy just to kind of go along and not want to upset the apple cart and not want to do anything that might make our... Uh, worldly neighbors have any issues with us at all. Peter reminds his readers in 1 Peter 3.14, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Behaving like believers, part four, one, believers are eager to do good. Number two, believers are willing to suffer for doing good. So we're eager to, to do good, and suffering will not dissuade us from doing good. Suffering is expected as believers as we do good, honoring Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, we should expect suffering and persecution. So it's don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Number three, believers are ready to explain the reason for their hope. So they've been doing good. They've been willing to suffer for doing good. And now they're ready to explain the reason for their hope. Because we're living altogether different than those in the world. And so people in the world who are watching our lives are perplexed by the way that we're living our lives. And they then begin to ask questions. Why are you living your life this way? Why are you different than the rest of the world? And in that moment, we're ready, ready to explain the reason for our hope. How? How, how can you remain ready to explain the reason for your hope. How, how do we remain ready? Uh, the scripture outlines it for us. It's very helpful. First Peter 3, 14 and 15. Instead of worry and fear of what might happen, again, expect it. And then that just kind of eliminates the worry and the fear. You're like, it's coming. 
Lord, like make me ready, Lord, but I don't want to be worried and fearful about it because as I'm worried and fearful, that's all I'm thinking about. My focus is on the wrong thing. Instead of having my focus on Jesus, my focus is my worry and my fear about what might happen as I try to live my life for Jesus. It's perplexing and weird, isn't it? Instead of worry and fear of what might happen, the verse says you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. That's the answer. <laughs> so what I'm not saying is showing up on Sunday morning only. Worshiping Christ is part of everything that we do on Sunday morning, but it's a 24-7 decision and declaration that I will worship the Lord Christ with all of my life, 24-7. He is my priority. Try this as you're driving down the road. Instead of listening to talk radio or whatever you're listening to, try turning off every distraction and just begin to praise Jesus. Just begin to thank Jesus. Just begin to worship Jesus and begin to bring Jesus into your daily commute and into your experience as you go about your day-to-day -day life. You'll begin to train yourself to worship Jesus in spirits and in truth, in good times and in bad. When you're upset, when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're sad, you will just bring Jesus into the middle of everything that you're experiencing. You will begin to worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Worshiping in spirit and in truth means that we are worshiping him because he is the Lord of our lives. That means we declare him to be the leader, the most important, our priority, the first person in our life. He gets everything that he wants out of us, uh, mind, will, emotion, body, soul, spirit, he gets it all. He is the Lord of our lives and we worship him as such. As we do this, as you worship Christ as the Lord of your life, you will, you, you will then have the right mindset and the right heart condition. We struggle when difficulties come and we struggle to share our faith because our minds are not in the right place and we've got a poor heart condition. Listen, if you begin to worship Jesus as the Lord of your life all day long throughout the course of your life, God will begin to change your mind and fix your heart. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So that means <laughs> never, ever stop. Like never, ever Stop worshiping the Lord. Never stop praying to the Lord. Never stop talking to the Lord. If you do this, your mindset will be fixed. You'll no longer be fearful. You'll no longer be anxious, but you'll be ready for the calling upon your life. You won't be consumed with fear. Instead, you'll be focused on your assignment here in the earth. You, as a believer, have an assignment here in the earth, and your assignment is bookended by Jesus. It begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus, and everything in between has to be about Jesus. Your assignment as a believer is to do good, no matter what it costs you. And part of doing good is communicating the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. How do we communicate the reason for our hope? First Peter 3, verse 16, do this, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Like we're not trying to cram the gospel down people's throats. Like we're 
doing it in a loving and respectful way, a graceful way. We're asking the Lord to prepare the hearts of those that we want to share the truth with so that their hearts are ready, their minds are ready, their lives are prepared for the gospel message that God has for them, much like our hearts and minds and lives were prepared when we decided by God's grace to believe the message of the gospel. God went ahead of time in our lives and prepared our hearts and minds and lives so that we might receive what God has for us. So we do this with a gentle, uh, in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If your conscience is unclear, if you're entertaining sin, you got junk in your life, you'll, you, you won't do what the Bible says. So keep your conscience clear. It's just the reality. If you got junk in your life, you're not going to do what God's called you to do. So get rid of the junk, worship Christ as Lord of your life, and then you'll be happy to do what God has called you to do. But if you got junk in your life, you don't want to do what God has called you to do because you want what you want in your life. So when we worship Christ as Lord of our lives, then we're ready. We're actually eager to do good. No matter what it costs us, we want to do what God has called us to do, and then we want to tell others what God is doing, right? We want to do what God is calling us to do and then tell others what God is calling us to do. So do it in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, which they will, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because, 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 because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirits. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. What does that mean? What does it mean that he went to preach to the spirits in prison? In the days of Noah, demons had intercourse with human women on the earth. This was Satan's attempt to corrupt the human race. He failed. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 6. Did you know that the enemy loses, right? You know that he's already defeated foe, right? Jesus went and declared that in the abyss to the fallen demons who rebelled Genesis 6. Have you guys read this for a while? Here we go. Verse 1. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted. Sons of God. These are demons. They took any that they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, whenever demons had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything... Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and, he put, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yeah, yes, I will destroy every living thing. 
all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with God. He found favor with the Lord. Verse 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time. Isn't that crazy? So God sees Noah. Of, of all of the people populating the earth, God sees Noah. He's the only righteous person on the earth. And so he tells Noah, God tells Noah, build a boat. And I'm going to flood the earth, destroying everything and every one. Old and New Testament, God has called his people to do good in spite of persecution and suffering. You think Noah suffered persecution and difficulty as the only righteous man on the earth? So ungodly was the land that God sent a flood to destroy every living creature. He suffered persecution as he's building a boat. He's suffering persecution. What are you doing, Noah? I'm obeying the Lord. So when people ask you, what are you doing? I'm obeying the Lord. We say it with all humility, but with conviction, knowing that God has called us to do good and to do good even in our, as we suffer. And then as people ask, what are you doing? Then you tell them about Jesus. And they will ask, what are you doing? They will, they will ask because they will be perplexed about your lifestyle. So after his crucifixion, but before his resurrection, Jesus went down into the abyss and he preached to the demons that disobeyed the, the demons who went outside of their bounds, and even in their wickedness, they went outside of that. And he didn't go to preach to them for salvation, but he went to preach to them the victory that he uh, accomplished as he went to the cross, as he overcame the enemy. He went to the abyss and said, you have lost. You have lost, and the victory is mine. And then he's resurrected. And he goes to the right hand of the Father. Verse 20, 1 Peter 3, those who disobeyed God long ago waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now, which, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's, it's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. As Jeremy was praying this morning, he was talking about if we do not worship the very rocks and the stones, the floor tiles and the chairs will cry out. Why? Because the presence of God is so powerful and so pure and so awesome that it requires a 
response. It requires that we fall as dead people before him in awe and adoration, that we worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we refuse the very rocks and stones, they will be compelled to cry out because the king always demands an answer. The king always requires a response. And when we come into the presence of the king, our response is worship, that we would do good as he has called us to do good in spite of suffering and that out of that experience that we would tell people about Jesus. Why? Because as our lives are bookend by Jesus, we will stand before the Lord to give an account for our lives. And so he's made it crystal clear in the scripture, old in the New Testament, that we have a responsibility, we have an assignment, we have a job to do. And we will all stand. If you are a believer, then you will stand before the Bema seat of Christ, the, the judgment seat of Christ, and you will give an account for your life, either for rewards or missing out on re rewards. Remember the parable of the talents? One guy got, I think he got five talents, and another guy got three talents. Another guy got one talent. The uh, master went away and came back, and he talked to the guy with five talents. Hey, what did you do with those five talents that I gave you? He said, man, I went out and earned five more talents. Well done. Goes to the guy with three talents. What did you do with those talents that I gave you? Man, I went out and got three more talents. Well done. He goes to the guy with one talent. He says, what did you do with the talents I gave you? He said, nothing. I just buried it. I was fearful. So I buried it. He wasted his life. He's wasted his life. It's an example. It's a picture for us. What will you do when the Lord asks you, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? Your time. What did you do with your time? Your, your treasure. What did you do with your treasure? What did you do with the talents that God has given you? And you will stand before the Lord naked, everything exposed, all by yourself. And you can't blame it on your husband or your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or your job or anybody else. You will stand before the Lord and give an account for your life. I am going to stand before the Lord and give an account for my life. And so the Lord's going to say, what did you do with those talents? I want to be able to say, Lord, I did what I thought I was supposed to. I, I feel like I was, by your grace, Lord, I, I feel like by your, because you were good, not because I was good, but because of your grace, Lord. I, I feel like I, I think I did what I was supposed to do, and I've increased those talents. There's not going to be any arrogance there. We're not going to be able to say, oh, look what I did. I tell you, if you've got your chest poked out at the Bema seat, you are done. You're smote. <laughs> Because it just is an indication that your whole life was wrong. Everything that we do, the good stuff that God has called us to do is because of his grace and his mercy. Because he's good, not because we're good. And we need, we need to, to know that as we stand before the Lord, we're going to give an account. So I, I need to know that when I stand before the Lord, every time I've preached, every time I've had the opportunity to live my life before people, that I've done my best. Because I don't want to hear, why didn't you just tell them the truth? And you're going to get that same question. Why didn't you just tell people the truth? Why didn't you just tell your, your friends and your neighbors the truth? I mean, in a gentle and a patient and a gracious way, why didn't you tell them the truth? It's what the whole wide world is desperately to, desperate to understand and to know. They want to know truth in a world that is filled with lies and deception and, and partial truths. The world needs to know the truth. And so we do good. Our lives are bookended by Jesus. 
And so in the middle is what we do with our lives as they're bookended by Jesus. Jesus died, giving us grace and mercy so that we can live our lives as a result of that grace and mercy. And then one day we will stand before the Lord to give an account for our lives. And then for those of us who know Jesus will spend eternity with the Lord. And for those who don't, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they will spend eternity in darkness, fire, and hell prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's where people will spend eternity. So there's only two paths, path to life, path to death. You get to help people figure that out. And so now when the Lord asks you on that beam of seat at that judgment sheet, what did you do with your life? Uh, I think my, my, my hands are clean because I've told you. Have I not told you? Have I told you? Yes. All right. So what are you going to do with it? Truth. What? Truth. What are you going to do? Speak truth. Speak truth to who? Who, are, who needs it? Everyone. Everybody? So who have you not spoken truth to that needs to hear it? Like at Thanksgiving. Oh, I, believe me. <laughs> I do. Crap was at Jesus freak. <laughs> Crap was at Jesus freak. I love it. <laughs> so we, we go into a, a gathering with our family and we've been prayerful. We're like, Lord, so-and-so needs to hear the gospel. I don't know if they're going to be here next year when I've got this opportunity. So, Lord, I, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to bring it up. Lord, I, I don't know if they want to hear it. But, God, would you, would you prepare them, their, their mind, their heart, their lives? Will you prepare the circumstances of their lives so they might hear and respond to the gospel and give their lives fully to you. And so you go into every circumstance with that perspective. You go into a meeting and saying, Lord, I don't know if this person I'm having lunch with, with today knows you. So Lord, I wanna make sure that they know you. And so Lord, would you show me what that looks like? And that doesn't mean you're gonna share the gospel with everybody that you come in contact with, but you're praying every time you're coming in contact with someone for the opportunity. And if it's the Lord's right timing in that person's life, then you're gonna just begin to share with them. And they may hate you for it. They may uh, despise you for it. They may love you for it. You don't know what you're going to get, but you have to do good in spite of the possible persecution. And when you live your life like that, <laughs> you'll never be the same. You'll never, ever be the same. Who do you, who do you need to be praying for? Who do you need to be praying for in your sphere? Who? Neighbors. Neighbors. You know their names? Uh, okay. <laughs> There's others. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Who else? Extended family. Extended family. Who else? Brothers. Brothers? Co-workers? So you just make it your priority to pray. Lord, I... Pray for so-and-so. God, I, you might not even like the person, but you know they need Jesus. You're saying, Lord, I don't even like this person, but they're in my life for a reason. Would you help me to like them and to, then to love them and to demonstrate my love for them by going out on a limb and sharing the gospel 
with them. You don't want to go through your whole life and not having shared the gospel with the people in your life. Some of you are here today and you're like being Christians forever, but you've never shared the gospel. It's time to make a change. You, you have to share the gospel. If you're born again, it's the natural thing that you do. If you're not naturally just wanting to tell people about your life in Jesus, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you're even a Christian because Behaving like believers means believers are eager to do good, not, not because we necessarily feel guilty if we don't or compelled if we don't. We just have something that has been this transaction in our lives that has changed the way we think and changed the way we live. And if that transaction hasn't happened, maybe we just need to repent. I want to know that if I step out on the road and get hit by a Mack truck, which I'd be totally cool with, <laughs> that, all is, that I've done my job. And you want to know the same thing you do? Because when I say we all want to hear well done, right? Because we all want to hear well done. We all want to hear it. And so we want to know that if we step off the curb and get hit by a Mack truck, it's all good. Because up to that moment, we've lived our lives for Jesus. We've done the good that he's called us to do. Our lives are bookended by Jesus. We have grace because of Jesus. We have a great life, a calling purpose in Jesus because of him. And we're going to be with him forever and ever. Amen. It's a very brief little window. Very brief little moment. So what, I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do differently? Let's go ahead and stand up and um, invite the worship team. Lord, what am I going to do differently as a result of this message? Like, God, I know there's people in my life who need to know Jesus, and, and I know that I've skirted around the issue, Lord, at times, and I've not been very clear other times, Lord God, and I've had some fear, and I don't, I don't even understand my own life sometimes, Lord God. But I, I know that there are people in my life who I have the responsibility to tell about you. And so, Lord, I want to pray. I want to know what my assignment is. And I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to complete the assignment in Jesus' name. Lord, as we worship, help us to worship in spirit and in truth. And let, this is just the beginning of a week-long worship experience. A month-long worship experience, Lord. A lifelong worship experience that we be all yours all in, completely committed. We want our lives marked by goodness. Help us to, Lord, help us to live that way because we've allowed, our, 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 we've allowed ourselves to be filled with you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Let's worship in Jesus' name. Amen.